0: Thank you for listening to the collective church podcast collective is a church for the rest of us Which means if you've never been to church walked away from the church or are struggling to find a church to connect with you belong here There are so many great things going on at collective right now So make sure you are following us on social media at my collective church to stay in the loop. Now let's get into sunday's message Is it just me or does anybody else feel all the feels while watching that, right? I've seen it multiple weeks, and every single time I just feel like so I want to like run through a wall. Even if you don't like sports, like Danielle calling it sports things or whatever the heck just happened, <laughs> you still have to admit like, those are some inspirational, magical moments. Um, but let me explain why we chose those specific clips. Because it's not just because the series is called Game Changer and Sports Made Sense. It's actually um, deeper than that. Think about the first clip with me, the half-court buzzer beater by Underdog, Northern Iowa. Tied with the Texas Longhorns in the first round of the 2016 March Madness tournament, Paul Jesperson, who, exactly, caught the inbound pass with 2.7 seconds left in the game, put up the shot, and banked it in. But what if he didn't shoot the shot because he was too afraid that he would miss? What if he didn't shoot because he'd never actually made that shot before? If Jesperson doesn't take the shot, we don't have this incredible buzzer-beating moment. One of my favorite clips is Tony Hawk hitting the 900. Now we show the clip that shows that he nailed the trick, but if you remember watching it live in 1999, you know that he failed to land it 10 times in a row before that. What if he gave up after his first attempt? his second attempt, his ninth attempt. What if he never tried the trick because it never had actually been landed before? Or the last clip, when the Cubs walk it off against the Nationals. That's just in there because I like watching the Nationals lose and (laughs) spiral into mediocrity, Nationals fans. There's a lot of Nationals fans right now that are rocking some Orioles stuff. It's okay, we'll welcome you back on the bandwagon. You jumped off hard a few years ago, Come on, the future is bright in Baltimore. But really, the reason why we pick that clip is because the Cubs are down by three runs, the bases are loaded, in the bottom of the night, there's two strikes and two outs. This is the scenario, if you were a kid that played baseball, this is the scenario that you made up in your backyard. But in that moment, the Cubs' win probability was just 2%. But the batter, David Bodie, didn't tell his coach, you need to pick another guy because I don't think I can do it. He didn't leave the bat on his shoulder and take the pitches that were being thrown. There's a 98% chance of losing, but David Bodie swung anyway. Today's the final Sunday in our Game Changer series, a series that's been about challenging and encouraging the men in this church to step up, to serve, to heal, to grow, and to ultimately act like the men of God that they are created to be. And it feels really fitting that we're closing out this series on Father's Day, doesn't it? But did you know today is historically one of the lowest attended church Sundays of the year? When you put it in comparison of every other Sunday, and specifically holidays, Father's Day is below Memorial Day, Fourth of July, and Super Bowl Sunday. And I considered bringing this up a few weeks ago and like putting this challenge out there. We actually had record attendance on Mother's Day. So I was like, I'm going to challenge the men. Like, let's set a record on Father's Day. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't do that is because I don't want to beg or bribe men to make this a priority. And honestly, as we close out this series today, I only wanted the men who wanted to be here to be here. And so I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that you made this a priority. For those of you who are fathers and you know you have a choice today, right? Your family asks you, what do you want to do today? And you chose to be here. That is a good thing. And I'm glad you're here. Now let me remind everyone why this series matters. A few years ago, back when we were at West Frederick Middle School, I preached a sermon that focused on joining the team at Collective and serving on Sunday mornings. And in that sermon, I specifically challenged our men because statistically, the breakdown in churches is that 60 to 70% of the people who serve on Sunday mornings are women. And this has been true for centuries. Going all the way back to the early church, we see this, is that women do more. They carry more weight when it comes to the church. They serve more, women are more generous, they attend more, they pray more, they worship louder, they read their Bible more. And while I am thankful for that, because I know that collective wouldn't be where it is without the women in this church, I wanted to challenge our men to carry that burden equally. And so I specifically took a moment just to talk to our men. And it wasn't even a week later when I got an email from a wife saying that I was being too hard on her husband. Meanwhile, this woman worked a full-time job. She was involved in extracurricular activities, leading students in the community after her work hours, and she was pregnant. And her husband though would walk in late to church on Sundays if he even showed up at all. And I thought, this is what is wrong with the church. Now, both of them said that they were followers of Jesus. Both work hard jobs, but he was passive and she was letting him off the hook, even writing the emails for him. And so I told them that in a hard conversation. Now they don't go to collective anymore and that's okay because there are plenty of churches that don't fight for men. In fact, you grow a church by not fighting for men. You just go after the women because you know they'll do more, serve more, give more, all those things. But there are too many churches that don't fight for men that don't fight for marriages, don't fight for purity, don't fight for grace, and don't fight for truth, but we do. Because men, if you succeed, everyone succeeds. Men, if you grow, this church grows, if you heal, your family heals, if you fight, our culture changes. I think we would all agree deep down inside that that is what we want. And so while this whole series has been geared toward men and I'm talking to men today, I also wanna remind the boys in this room that I'm talking to them as well. If you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, you are in here for a reason. You are here to learn how to grow from a boy into a man of God. But I'm also talking to the moms in this room right now. Moms, if you are raising a boy into a man, you need to take notes. You need to take notes because this is about what God has commanded you to raise your sons into. I'm also talking to the single women and the women who are in dating relationships in this room. This includes middle schoolers and high schoolers who will be in that place at some point after middle school and high school. It's too early to date. Don't do that now. But you are in here for a reason. Because you are, as you are looking for the kind of man that you maybe one day want to entrust your life to as your husband, this is what you should be looking for. Right? And if he's not that, then just don't date him. If you are currently in a relationship with that type of guy, break up with him. It will sting now, but you will thank me for it later. And even though we're ending this series today, I know that some of you want to keep going. I know that there are people in this room that want to keep doing their work, They want to keep digging in. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to sign up for the retreats I talked about in week one, Crucible or Liminal, this fall. November 3rd through 5th is the Crucible Men's Retreat. November 17th through 19th is a Women's Liminal Retreat. You can go on Coming Up, click on it, you can sign up right now. And I highly recommend anyone who wants to work on the things that we've talked about in this series and go deeper into those to go to these retreats. You can sign up right now if you want. There are men that go to this church who have already signed up for the fall. And there are men who have already been, who are gonna staff it later so that you are with a community at Collective. But if these things that you are wrestling with, as we end this series today, sit in your soul, sign up for that and dig deeper. Now, I wanna go back to something I talked about in week one. In week one of this series, I shared that men are created to be a king, a lover, a sage, and a warrior, Not parts of these things, not one of these things, but all of these things. And today what I wanna do is I wanna break this down even further because being a man of God is a choice. And living as a king and a lover and a sage and a warrior is a choice. And really we end this series and there's two choices on the table. You can do the hard work and you can choose to be who God has called you to be. You can do the hard work of dealing with the wounds from your father to heal, to set a higher bar, to break the generational pain that's been handed down to you. You can do the hard work of bringing your sin into the light to allow God's truth to convict you and his grace to wash you clean. Or you can stay the same. Really coming out of this series, these are the two choices that are on the table and it's up to you. And think about the clips from that video again. The reason why we picked them is because it only takes one swing one shot, one attempt to change everything. But that is often preceded by a lot of missed shots, a lot of trial and error, a lot of odds stacked against you, a lot of growth. And that's what being a man of God is all about. This series is not about being perfect. That is not a reality that we will ever attain. But this series is about not being too afraid to step up to the plate, to get back up when you fail, and to do the hard work. And so men, here's the first thing to write down today. Be a king. Be a king. You were created to rule something. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be in charge, but that also doesn't mean that you lord yourself over others when you are in charge. It just means you have influence, and you need to honor that. Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created human beings in his own image, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. One thing that is fundamentally true about every single person here is that they are made in the image of God. God shares his image with you. Then he shares his ruling and reigning authority with you, which makes you a royal image bearer of God. This is the truth. You are royalty. And this is true for both men and women. You are kings and queens living under the authority of God, who is the king of kings. But men, you are created to follow God and take care of everything that he has put you in charge of. That means you take care of the things in the same way that God would do it, so that everything you take care of can thrive. Your job is to make sure that everyone and everything in your kingdom is able to become everything that God meant for them to be when he created them. And good kings bring order to their realm. A good king fights for the security of his kingdom. Think about a family. A family with a good father feels protected spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And God will put you in situations where you will need to act decisively and strongly on behalf of others. And that is what a good king does. In fact, a good king sacrifices himself for the betterment of the kingdom because it's not about him, but about his legacy, his impact, the well-being of others that are under his care. God created you in his image and in his likeness so that you can live your life with God by assuming the responsibility of providing and protecting everything that God has entrusted to you. In the book Fathered by God, John Eldridge writes this, He says, perhaps the single greatest weakness common to good men now acting as kings is that they do not walk with God. They've learned some principles of leadership. They have their opinions, but they try to govern by these alone. I promise you, you cannot master enough principles to address every situation you meet. Trusting God is essential for a king. Good kings are under the authority of God and his voice is the primary voice in their life. And this is really important. Good kings know that they are not solely in charge and that they answer to God. And all good kings know that they were given their thrones by God and they are to take their commands from God alone and that they will be accountable to God for anything that happens inside their kingdom. So men, do the hard work to be a king. Men, be a lover. If we're being honest, we know that we struggle with this one because many men think they cannot be a real man and live from the heart. But that isn't true. Probably the best example of this in a person is David in the Bible. David was called a man after God's own heart and one of his greatest contributions to the world were the songs and poems that he wrote that make up the book of Psalms today in the Bible. These are songs to God about joy and anger and sadness and fear. It's not just David though. The ultimate example is is Jesus. John 15, 13 says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' love for us is what brought him to give up his life for us. It wasn't data. It wasn't facts. It was the heart. It was his love for his people. A lover works on his heart and is emotionally healthy. A lover has anger when there's injustice, but doesn't let anger bring him to sin. A lover has joy when experiencing the good things in life, but doesn't use joy to shield himself from pain and reality. A lover is gentle and not passive. And like I said in week one, being a lover also involves sex. A godly man views sex as the tender but good gift from God that is shared with his wife and his wife alone. And when it comes to loving a woman, there's a great divide between a man as a lover and a man as a consumer. A man who is a consumer seeks out a woman because he needs her to meet some need in his life, a need of validation or mercy or sexual gratification, but a man who is a lover comes to offer his strength to a woman, not get it from her. He makes her life better and wants to fill her heart in every way he can. He shares his heart with her. Again, John Eldridge writes this and Fathered by God. He writes this about the lover. He says, The heart of the lover never gets to awaken or develop in a man so long as he rejects the heart and chooses to remain in the world of analysis, dissection, and reason. The lover is wounded in a man when he looks to a woman for that primary love and validation his father was meant to bestow. Men, do the hard work to be a lover. Men, be a sage. You were put on this earth to help others live wisely. Men, one of the reasons you have to deal with your junk is so that you can help other men deal with theirs. Proverbs 20, 29 says this, the glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. Just like God gives us wisdom that teaches us how to live a better life, you're to share the wisdom of God that he has given you with other people. Men, that means you have to choose vulnerability. That means you have to be real and honest about your struggles and your pains and your growth and your healing so that other men can learn from you and avoid the same mistakes that you have made. Older Christian men in this church, we need you. I've become uniquely aware of this over the past few weeks as we've talked about being game-changing men, but most of the men who go to this church in their 20s or 30s don't have fathers that are showing them what it looks like to be a man of God. I can speak for this in my own life. I don't have someone going ahead of me I don't have a father showing me how to deal with my sin and brokenness. I don't have a father showing me how to have a marriage centered on Christ. I don't have a father showing me how to make decisions based on Scripture and not my own feelings and not my own wounding. Men in this church who are older, that is your job. That's what God has called you to do, is help lead the men in this church through those things. I understand that this is a young church. I understand that we don't do a lot of things that are geared toward you, That's because your role in this church is to live as a sage and bring wisdom. So men, specifically older men, do the hard work to be a sage. sage. And men, be a warrior. God is a warrior, and the warrior is hardwired into every man because God intends for man to join him in this battle because there are certain things in life worth fighting for. Your marriage is worth fighting for. Your children are worth fighting for. The friendships that breathe life into you are worth fighting for. This church and your faith are worth fighting for. Ephesians 6.10 says this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Men, you have to fight for your marriage when you have marriage problems, not if, but when you have marriage problems, you can passively say, I tried, right? It's it's not my fault. I, I don't know what else to do. I didn't have a father that showed me how to handle these things. And then you can do nothing or you can fight for your marriage. And that starts by listening, by being vulnerable, by sharing about the things you are wrestling with so they can share about the things that they are wrestling with. And then you move and you go to counseling. You seek out help, help. You're honest with other men about what your struggles are and you work on those things. And then you relentlessly choose humility. Ephesians 5 says that the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. That means husbands, you are called to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Meaning the way that you fight for your marriage is you lay down your life for your wife. Right? You, you, you are not the most important person in your marriage. Right? You are the most important person when it comes to laying down your desires and your thoughts and your sins and your baggage so that you can work to have a healthy marriage. That is how you fight for your marriage. Men, fight for your kids' relationships with Jesus. Really what I'm saying here is you need to fight for their salvation. When it comes to the most important, eternal, significant relationship in the universe, you can do the whole, well, I don't wanna shove Jesus down their throats like my mom and dad did to me thing, which honestly is BS and it's excuse and you know it because what your parents did to you is that they didn't shove Jesus down your throat. If anything, I've learned in this church is that they were just passive about it. Yeah, sure, they had you show up on Sunday mornings. They weren't shoving it down your throat and that's not what bothered you. What bothered most of you when it came to your parents is the hypocrisy. It's that the way they were saying that you should live your life wasn't actually how they were living theirs. It's because you didn't see anything in their life that closely reflected Jesus. And so the solution is not to back off Jesus and pull your kids away from him. It's to deal with your own hypocrisy. It's to start running after Jesus. And when your kids see your integrity, which is the opposite of hypocrisy that Jesus is bringing into your life and your marriage and your growth and how you lead them, they won't think of it as you shoving it down their throat. They'll see it as this. My parents are sharing with me the greatest person they've ever experienced in their life and I want what they have. When they see what God is doing in your life, they'll say, I want that. Men, when you choose not to fight for your kid's faith, and their relationship with Jesus and their salvation, when you choose not to make Sunday mornings a priority, a non-negotiable, when you refuse to show up and bring them to the things that are designed for them, like youth collective, and make that a priority, when you choose not to dig into your own faith so you can go before them and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus, what are you saying to them? I will tell you what you're saying to them. You're saying to them, go to hell. That is what you're saying to them. When you are choosing not to lead them in faith and lead them toward Jesus, That is what you're, you don't even, you're saying you don't even care about their eternity. And I know that stings a little bit, but I'm not sorry for how honest that is. Because we have parents in this room who are saying that to their kids passively, right? You're not saying it to their face, you're just saying it the way you act. And listen, I I know that some of you have adult kids and you cannot make them be here with you. You fight for them by praying for them every day by growing in your faith so that they can see what Jesus is doing in your life. You do that by inviting them to church and not feeling insecure when they say no, right? They're gonna say no, and they're gonna say no for a while, but at some point, they're gonna hit something hard in their life, and they're gonna look at you and say, I've seen my parents get through this. I've seen my dad get through this. I know Jesus is a part of that, and I'll show up. Just because your kids are older doesn't mean you don't fight for them anymore. And man, above everything, fight for your faith, On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more adult women than men in America's churches. Every Sunday, almost 25% of married women will worship alone without their husbands. Over 70% of the boys who are being raised in the church will abandon their faith during their teens and 20s, and that is because they are following in their father's footsteps when it comes to faith. And we know this is true because more than 90% of American men say they believe in God. Five out of six men call themselves Christian, but only one out of six men attend church on Sunday. And so the average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ but fails to see any value in going to church, owning their growth, and leading their family. Men, fight for your faith. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Serve, be generous, get baptized. Fight for the things that matter the most. Men, do the hard work to be a warrior. Men, you are created to be a king, a lover, a sage, and a warrior, but it takes hard work. Right? It doesn't come easy, but nothing of value comes easy. It takes dealing with the things that are deep down in your soul, the things that you carry. It takes dealing with our sin. It takes the courage to fight, but even more so, the courage to get back up when we fail. So are you going to do the hard work to live as those men? You know, one of the saddest stories in the Bible comes shortly after God rescues the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. So after God rescued them through Moses, they were making their way to a place called the Promised Land, a land that God had set aside for them, a land of milk and honey. Like it was supposed to be this life-giving, God-experiencing place. And on their way to the Promised Land, they saw as God protected them. God protected them against armies and enemies. God provided food and water from the sky. God even made a promise to them to lead them and to never leave them. Ultimately, they saw and felt God's presence every single day. They knew that God loved them. But when God told them that it was time to enter the promised land, the Israelites stood on the brink of this new life with God, and they didn't go in. And Moses, who was leading them, was furious. Speaking on behalf of God, he says this to them in Deuteronomy 1, starting in verse 26. He says, But you rebelled against the command of your Lord, your God, and refused to go in. You complained in your tents and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he's brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites to be slaughtered. You see, in the promised land, there was another group of people, the Amorites, and they were afraid. And in order for them to take the land that God had given to them and promised them, it meant they had to fight. But they were too scared. And so they refused. Verse 28, they said, where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us with their report. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are and their towns are large with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anag. And somehow the Israelites had got it into their heads that God rescued them from Egypt. He took care of them through the first set of wilderness and then led them to the promised land just to let them die Moses continues, he says, but I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. And so Moses reminded them of how good God had been to them, how God had brought, him, brought them other victories, how he had protected them and went before them. Really, he reminds them that God is with you. He he loves you, he's not gonna let you go into this alone. And then verse 32 says this, but even after all he did, all God did, you refused to trust the Lord your God. And so they refused to do what God asked them to do because it was hard, because it was scary, because they didn't think that they would win. And do you know what happened next to the Israelites? They spent the next 40 years wandering without a home in the wilderness because they refused to trust God. They refused to fight. They refused to do the hard work. And what's really funny is in the church, we often cite this story when talking about our own wilderness experiences. Like when we're going through these hard things and we say, ah, you know, it's just my wilderness season right now. But that, that really isn't the lesson at all because we've forgotten that their 40 years of wandering and the pain that came along with it were avoidable. The reasons the Israelites ended up in the wilderness for 40 years was because they would not fight, because they were afraid to fail, because they didn't trust God. So men, do the hard work. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton set out to be the first person ever to cross Antarctica. His team of 27 men left England aboard a ship called the Endurance, knowing that they might die on this adventure. It was a a one-way trip, essentially. Here's the ad that they put into the paper to find his crew. It says this, men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Legend has it that they couldn't keep up with all the applicants. Man, I feel like this is the mission that God has set before us when it comes to our marriages, our family, our future generations in in this church. And God is pushing us to be the man that he has created us to be, to be a king, a lover, a sage, and a warrior. But it's hard. This isn't easy. As we go on this trip, there'll be times that we get hit in the mouth. There'll be times that we fail and we have to get back up. There are times that we'll have to change the way we are living. We'll have to remove parts of our lives that are getting in the way but we know that if we do these things, if we trust God, it will be a game changer. And men, I know what you're thinking right now, because anytime I feel challenged like this, I feel the same way, I think the same thing. And I begin to ask myself, do I have what it takes? This question is actually the question that men ask themselves in any challenge in their life. Can I do this? Do I have what it takes? And men, the truth is you do, You do have what it takes, not because I say so, This has nothing to do with Michael, it's because God says so. God is a king, a lover, a sage and a warrior and you are made in his image. You are not an accident, you are not a screw up, you are not your sin, you are not weak, you are not your father. You are a king, a lover, a sage and a warrior. Men, when you ask yourself, do I have what it takes? The answer is yes, because God created you to have what it takes. So here's what I want you men to do right now. If you're a middle schooler, high schooler, or man, I want you to stand up. Stand up, come on. This is how we're gonna go out today on Father's Day. Man, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand tall. I want you to stand confidently. And I want you to take in these words. Hear these words. For some of you, it means closing your eyes and accepting these words just to get all the other garbage out of your mind right now that you are hearing and hear what I'm about to say. God created you in his image and said, you are good. You are a king. You are created to rule well. Don't shirk back. Don't deny your responsibility. Beware of living in reaction to the ways that you've seen it done poorly in the past. You rule with diligence. You rule with decisiveness, you rule with compassion. Really men, you go first. You are a lover. Run from sexual immorality. Run from sexual immorality. No matter how many times you fall, continue to fight it knowing that God is with you. Cherish the people around you. Embrace beauty and music and the arts and find a beautiful godly woman that you can marry and have kids with and pour your life into the next generation by loving your family and laying down your life for them. Men who have kids, lay down your life for them. Go first, do that. Men, you are a sage. You have wisdom. Speak truth in a world of lies and act boldly and stand on a firm foundation. Not your own foundation, not your past foundation, not culture's foundation, but the word of God. Be a source of wisdom for men who are younger than you. And men, you are a warrior. We are in a battle and God has called you to fight. And there's going to be times when you ask yourself, why does it always have to be me? And the answer is because God created you that way. So you fight with bravery and you will win. He's going before you already. It's not even a fight that you go into by yourself. Keep going because our culture needs you. Our world needs you. This church needs you. Your families need you. Men, God is waiting on us. Jesus is waiting on us, this world is waiting on us to be the spirit-filled, spirit-changed, spirit-empowered men, husbands, boyfriends, fathers, and leaders that Jesus has meant for us to be and promises is still possible for us. Some of you are struggling with this right now because you think you've screwed up too much to be that man. That is not true, you can be that man. The most important people in our lives are waiting on us to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to be strong, and to act like men. And remember the word of Moses in Deuteronomy one, he says, the Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you just as you saw him do in Egypt. He's already done this. He's already proven it in your life. He's already shown you that he is for you. He continues, and you saw how the Lord your God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness, just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. Man, God is with you. He is for you, he loves you, he wants what's best for you. And for some reason he has brought you to this place today. So the question is, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you going to do the hard work? Now let's do this, women in the room, please stand up. If your husband is with you, grab their hand, grab their arm. Man, I want you to understand that you are not in this alone, that there are women in this church who believe in you, who want you to fight, who are with you, who know you can do it, who know you can do the hard things. But there are also women in this church that are setting a really good pace and they're ready for you to catch up. They're ready for you to run at the speed that they're running so that you can lead your family and your life and your kids in this church the right way, the way God has called you to lead. So let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for these men. God, we're thankful for their willingness to stand up right now and receive the calling that you've put on their life. God, the calling of a king, a lover, a sage, and a warrior, not parts of it, not one of those things, but the wholeness of that. And God, if we're being honest, we're scared. God, we're insecure, we're asking, do I have what it takes? But when we read scripture, we know we do because it's not about us, it's about you. It's about the fact that you've gone ahead of us. God, you've already fought the battles for us. You're with us and that you care and you love us the same way that you love a child. So God, we pray for these men to do the hard work. God, we pray for these men to step up to the plate. God, we pray for these men to know that when they get hit in the mouth, which they will, that they can get back up. And the people in this church are ready for that. They're ready to pick them back up, to hold on to them, to cheer them on as they keep going and live as you have called them to be. God, we're thankful for the women of this church. God, we're thankful for the burden that they feel collective doesn't exist without these women. But God, they're ready for these men to catch up. So God, I pray that we don't fall back. God, that we don't sit in that fear, that we don't sit in that insecurity. But God, as men, we go first. That we do the hard work. We watch how it changes the world. God, we thank you and we love you and pray these things in your name, amen.